We're going to talk this morning about uh, how do you handle opposition? Have you ever noticed that in some places and with some people, it's not favorable to speak truth? People want to hear what they want to hear, and they want you to adjust to them, which means you have to compromise truth. And so when you look at Acts, you you see great power, and you see great grace, and you see great fear. Now, why was there great fear in the church? Because Ananias and Sapphira had lied about their giving. (laughs) Maybe we ought to take the offering again. Uh, They had lied about their giving. They had pretended to have given more than they gave. And God struck them dead as a message to the early church to say, listen, you need to understand, I take my word and my son and his resurrection very seriously, and I don't want it tampered with. I want you to give your whole heart. And so why did God strike them dead? It was because of hypocrisy. They were being hypocritical in the presence of God and God's people. By the way, if you've shared your faith with anybody, somebody has said this to you at some point. I don't want to go to church. It's full of hypocrites. Well, they're being hypocritical by even saying that because we're all, at some point, hypocrites. And we're just, the difference is some of us are saved and know we're not supposed to be, and some are and don't know they're not supposed to be. And so this move of God has happened. Thousands of people have come to Christ. They've been saved. They've given their hearts to Christ. And yet God is beginning to purge the church, even in those early days, because purity is what brings power. The sanctified life is the life that can share the message of salvation. And so we're going to go through some things very quickly this morning. I want you to see some keys to standing firm. When people go, hey, I don't want to hear about your Jesus. I don't want you to talk to me about the Lord. I, I don't want to hear about that. I want to know about that. I just want to live life on my terms. When they do that, there's some keys to you standing firm. Number one, you need to see things the way Jesus sees them. You need to see things the way Jesus sees them. Every person you meet at the bank, at the drugstore, at the grocery store, at the gas station, in school, wherever you are, every person you meet is either saved or lost. Every person you meet, if they stop breathing in this moment, they will spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. We need to see the world the way Jesus sees it. He looked out over Jerusalem and he was moved with compassion. Way too many people in our region of the country are moved with complaining. Jesus was moved with compassion. We need to see the way Jesus sees. Secondly, we need to understand we're in a battle. We're in a battle. The devil wants to keep people blind to the truth. The devil wants to hide the truth of the Word of God from people's hearts. And we're in a battle, and we can't be AWOL. We've got to be on the march that says that the church is to storm the gates of hell. We're supposed to be on the offensive, not on the defensive. Thirdly, we're laborers in a field. Remember Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew that the labor, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know why? Because labor implies work. We got to work at something. We got to work at it. You don't just go out to a field and say, provide food for my table. You got to work the field. 
We don't just build a building and say, well, we're here. If y'all decide to ever come, come on. We hope we'll be here. We work to draw people into a relationship with Christ. It is not so much drawing people here so that they hear me preach the gospel as it is the church being the living gospel during the week and bringing the people with you that have prayed to receive Christ that week to say, I want to make a public confession of my faith in Jesus Christ. We're working in fields. We need to have a missionary mindset. We are on mission. We've just had two groups get back from Haiti and, and from Kenya, and we've seen lives changed and, and much work done. But there's much work to do here for us. You may never travel overseas, but you live in a mission field. It's called Southwest Georgia. Thirdly, we need to depend on the Spirit. We need to depend on the Spirit. What's, what's about four? That's four. <laughs> uh, I'll get it. I grew up in Mississippi. It takes me a while. I'm always one behind. We need to depend on the Spirit. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. You see, the Spirit of God has to get involved in our witnessing because He is the one that convicts of sin. It's not us beating people over the head with the Bible. He's the one that convicts of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. And when we depend on the Spirit, we're not ashamed of the gospel. And then we need to pray without ceasing. We need to pray without ceasing. Now there's three ways. In a couple of weeks, I'm just going to do a whole message on how you pray for lost people. But there are three particular ways you can pray for lost people. First of all, that they'll see their need. That they see their need of a Savior. Not just that you know they're lost, but that God would convict them and put circumstances in their life where they'll see their need of Jesus Christ, that they'll see Christ as the only one who can change their life. They can't change their life by doing better, trying harder, turning over a new leaf, making resolutions, trying to be more disciplined, going to this or that or the other. They can only be changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we pray that they will yield their lives to Christ, that they would not be resistant to the Spirit of God working in their lives. Those are the keys to standing firm. Now, the power of the gospel, we're in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to read a lot of Acts chapter 5 today. So if you've got your Bibles, and if you've got it on your iPad or your iPhone, and you're not checking Facebook, or you're not sending out messages or somebody else, and you're, you're watching, follow with me. All right? Follow with me. Verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their numbers to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Let me ask you something. Are our lives so significant for Christ that people would scurry and do whatever they had to do just to get in the shadow of what God is doing? in our lives. That's what they did. Verse 16, also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all being healed. Now look at this pattern of the church. If you've been with us 
in this series, you know some things about this early church. Billy Graham was asked one time if he was trying to take the church back to the early 20th century. He said, no, I'm trying to take them back 2,000 years to the book of Acts. I'm trying to get a first century church in action. We know where they met. Where did they meet? They met in the temple around Solomon's portico, one of the two colonnades around the temple grounds. They gathered to worship, and their worship was a witness. Guess what? When you pull out of your driveway, you're going to worship. That's a witness to your neighbors that something is more important than sleeping in. When you got company and you pull out of your driveway, it says something's more important than my company, whether they go with me or not. You see, what we do on Sundays is a witness. What they did is they gathered in the temple in a public place and they worshiped. We know how they met. They gathered openly. They worshiped openly. While persecution was growing, they did not send out an email and say, you know, we probably ought to just go meet in some quiet place somewhere and not cause any trouble. Folks, the gospel causes trouble because it confronts a lost world. We, we know how they met, and, they, and we know that they had power. There's this unbelievable work of God that is going on where 3,000 are saved and 5,000 are saved, and in Acts 2 and in Acts 5, they're continually being added to the church. I mean, people are coming to Christ at every turn. And there are miracles that are happening. Now, you remember that, that you, in, the, in the book of Acts, you see these miracles continuing primarily because they didn't have a written Bible. That is not to discount miracles because they still happen. But it is to primarily to say these apostles are authentic. They're the real deal. And so the miracles drew the crowd in, not for the sake of the miracle, but for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel. It was so that people would hear the truth about Jesus Christ who had been crucified and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. Now, verse 16, you remember the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Verse 16 is the first time we have a reference to the gospel going outside of Jerusalem. They're into Judea. They're into the surrounding cities of Jerusalem. People are starting to come. They're starting, starting to expand their borders. But there's a cost to this gospel, verse 17. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees. Remember, the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. And they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Huh. You notice the angel didn't say, hey guys, you're in a bind, you're in jail. No, you don't have any bail money because in Acts chapter 4, you told the lame man, silver and gold have I none, so you can't post bail, so I'm getting you out. Run for the tall grass. The angel got them out of a secure jail with guards and said, now go back and do the very thing that got you thrown into jail. That's why we know they weren't Baptist. Because they did what God said. They obeyed God. 
Now, here's the problem, parenthetical. We don't have the kind of witness that allows an environment of supernatural intervention. We don't have the kind of witness. We're not walking with God to the extent that it allows an environment, an atmosphere for supernatural intervention of God. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and the associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought out. Go get those guys we locked up. Verse 22. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back. I, I just picture verse 22 is that guard was Barney Fife. He just didn't know how to say what had just happened. Verse 23, we found the prison house. Look at this. We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. There's a miracle. They've been delivered. That'll happen again in the book of Acts. Verse 24, now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what could have come of this. Now at that point, if you've got a brain the size of a turnip, at that point, you ought to be asking the question, could it be that this is real? That Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, we capture them and they go back to doing what we told them not to do. We go to get them out of prison. They're already out and they're back preaching, doing what we told them not to do. There must be something to this message. But they don't do that. Verse 25, but someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. If in the marginal notes, it probably reads, and the high priest was ticked off. Verse 26, then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet... You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend on bringing this man's blood on us. Let me just ask you a parenthetical question. What if we filled Albany and Leesburg and Smithville and Dawson and Sylvester with? What are we filling our city with that is a threat to the world system or even dead religion? What are we filling the world with? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin and we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him 
What is Peter doing? One more chance to confess Christ. He's saying to these religious leaders, I'm going to give you another chance. By now, this has been weeks, maybe months. By now, you should know that this Jesus is a real deal. You haven't come up with a body. There's an empty tomb. You persecute us. We keep going back and preaching the gospel. you got to be asking yourself the question, could we be wrong and those disciples are right? Because they won't stop. They can't be shut up. They just keep proclaiming the gospel. Now, this was in an unfavorable time. See, nobody met you at your door this morning and said, where are you going and where are you going to be and who are you going to be with and why are you carrying that Bible with you and why do you go to church and we're going to start watching you like they do in other parts of the world. It was an unfavorable time. Rome ruled the day. The Jews lived in fear. And in this time, Jesus shows up. Not a time when you'd expect it. I mean, if I'd have been God, I'd say, let's get Jesus when we got social media and he could do Facebook Live to the whole world and then they'd all know. But he came when the method had to be talking to people, having conversations with people, gathering a group of people together and sharing your testimony and your faith in Christ. He came in the fullness of time, the scripture says, at a time when people had to hear with our voice what God had done. Jesus said, you're going to have persecution. And all those that live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul said, will have persecution. You see, the gospel affects our conduct and it also affects how people relate to us. You see, if I'm living the Christian life, it's not just how I act, it's how I react when people are offended by the message of the gospel. And it is an offensive message because it says you can't fix yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't get to heaven by yourself. You need Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. This is just me. I know it's just me. But if you will leave me alone, I'm pretty easy to get along with. If you don't get in my way, if you're not texting on your phone, by the way, you start doing that, they're going to pull you over. We've got cops at every light in Albany this week. You start texting on your phone, the light goes green, and I'm thinking, you just cost me 15 seconds of my life. You, I mean, you don't do anything that bothers me. I'm pretty easy to get along with. But you poke me, and I promise you, I might react in a way that doesn't look like Jesus. Because that's my old flesh. They poked these disciples and they said, you killed Jesus. The disciples poked back and said, no, let me tell you what the problem is. The problem's not us, the problem's you. The problem is you've rejected the Messiah that was clearly revealed in the Old Testament and you've ignored what he's done. If you just study your own scriptures, you'd know that he's already come and he's resurrected. So don't be surprised by opposition. I love this quote by G. Campbell Morgan. One of the best compliments that can be paid is to be hated by the right people. That the right people hate you. See, they're hated by a group of people who didn't even like each other. The Pharisees didn't like the Sadducees. But sooner or later, the enemies of God will join forces to oppose the gospel. So they hurl them in 
hauled them in, they questioned him. Verse 17, these religious leaders are filled with jealousy. In verse 28, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. They're threatened by this bunch of nobodies. Guess what? We're all a bunch of nobodies. We're all a bunch of nobodies. Hey, you may think you're somebody. Just go to Times Square by yourself and stand on the corner for four hours and see if anybody knows who you are. Just, you want perspective? There's seven billion people in the world don't even know you're breathing. We're all nobodies, but we know somebody. And the somebody can take nobodies and make them into something and change their lives. The same thing happened with Martin Luther during the Reformation. The church controlled the scriptures. The scripture is only available in Latin, which would be the equivalent of only available in King James. And uh, (laughs) by the way, for those of you that that bothers you, there are 1,200 words in the King James Bible we do not use in conversational English in America today. In other words, if you're trying to tell somebody the translation is the key, you just said to them, there are 1,200 words, you're going to have to get a dictionary to figure out what they mean. Give people a Bible they can read. Because we are a biblically illiterate society today. Martin Luther said the scripture needs to be with the people. He said we're saved by grace through faith. And the Catholic Church tried to shut him up. Can I tell you something? Dead religion always wants excited Christians to shut up. Because it's too convicting. Because it makes dead religious people feel bad. So if somebody gets baptized and somebody gets saved and you start feeling a little guilty in a series like this, it may be because you got too much dead religion and not enough of Jesus. You want to be happy? <laughs> Just need to be happy. Hey, you know what? When you're happy, you tell people. And by the way, when you're happy, you don't have to tell anybody because they know you're happy. But I'll tell you, you can find a Baptist that's been drinking prune juice for six months in a New York second if you're looking for them. So, why are y'all getting me off track this morning? (laughs) Don't be surprised by opposition. Don't forget your divine directive. Chapter 5 verse 29 but Peter and the apostles answered we must obey God rather than men can I tell you what that word obey means it means to obey someone in ultimate authority in other words what Peter said you guys think you're in control you're not in control you're not the highest authority God is the highest authority and the Christ that you crucified God has raised him from the dead and I will answer to him not to your authority I will answer to God's authority so why, why aren't we consistent, all of us, me included, why aren't we consistent in sharing our faith? It's ultimately because of carnality. And yet we don't think it's carnality that is our problem, but it's ultimately the result of carnality. Let me define carnality for you. Carnality is thinking you have a right to live any way you want to and call yourself a believer. That's carnality. Church at Corinth felt like they could live any way they wanted to. And they rebuked Paul and they rejected Paul because he told them about a godly life. He said, I can't even speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal. See, the Bible says we're not our own. We're bought with a price. And so what happens? 
They're flogged, verse 40. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. And so they went on their way from the presence of the council, whining and complaining and bellyaching about what they'd gone through. Is that what your Bible says? They went from the presence of, after being beaten and ordered not to speak, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Peter said in verse 32, we are witnesses of this thing. What thing? The death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses of this thing. We were cowards, and now we're bold. By the way, the death and resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ and the fact that he's coming back is really old news. But it's really good news. And it's the best news. And it's not fake news. It's real news. Now, notice what he says, verse 32. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. Now, what Peter is saying there, he's not just saying that the Holy Spirit witnesses through us. What he is also saying there in the way that is constructed in the original languages is this. I may be out witnessing to you, but at the same time, the Spirit of God is in a separate and distinctive way bearing witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. In his own and on his own, the Spirit is creating an atmosphere and an environment where people can hear the truth, their ears are open, their eyes begin to see, and they hear and understand and comprehend that Christ is the only way. And that may be with you witnessing, or it could be just what's going on in their life, and God is drawing them in by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he's bringing them to Christ, and you say, how did they come to know? Because the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is drawing people to himself. He's drawing people into a room. Some of you think that you're here by accident. You're not here by accident. The Holy Spirit drew you into this room. Amen. So I got an invitation, but I want to tell you, you came because the Spirit kept telling you you ought to accept that invitation to come. Here's what we need. We need a church where the Spirit of God can actively work and move in such a way that he draws people to himself, that he brings people into a personal relationship with Christ, that there's an environment that is so hot with the presence of God that when people drive by this campus, walk on this campus, pull into guest parking, wherever they are, immediately the Spirit of God has enveloped this place with such an atmosphere that people walk in the door saying, what must I do to be saved? I've watched it happen. I've been in seasons in my life where unexplainably God just begins to show up. But can I tell you something? Dead religion will stop it in a heartbeat. And if we have dead religion or resistance 
to God speaking to us, working in us, using us. If we are at that point, at any point, we are saying to the Holy Spirit, stop. I don't want anybody's life to be changed. They may want my seat. They may want my parking space. It may make my Sunday school class so big we've got to split it. And I like my class just the size it is. We don't want to be that church. You can find a hundred of those churches all around this part of the state. We cannot be that church. We need to be the church where beyond anybody's ability to explain it, God is continually adding to our numbers those that are being saved. And by the way, just final thought before we stand to pray. We're not trying to win people to Sherwood. We want to win people to Jesus. And if God wants them to be here, God will get them here. But if you stop talking to somebody because you say, well, they're not going to come to Sherwood, so I'm not going to talk to them. Listen, saved and lost is the issue. Sherwood's not the issue. Saved and lost is the issue. This church may not be for everybody, but Jesus is for everybody. And I'm for Jesus. <laughs> so I want to ask you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. In just a moment, voices are going to sing, I surrender all. So I want to ask you a question. Do you need to surrender to Christ today? Do you need to give your life to Jesus today? Ask him to come into your heart and save you. We're going to have staff members at the end of the aisles. And in a moment when they begin to sing, I'm going to ask you to just step out from where you are, in the front, in the back, in the middle, wherever you are, to step out and find one of these men and say, today I need to trust Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. If you're here today and it's just hard for you, I mean, you're just thinking, I don't know if I can... I don't know if I can share my faith. Then surrender your fear to God today. Surrender your resistance to God today. While they sing, you step out and you come.